You're listening to sermons from Southbridge Fellowship in Raleigh, North Carolina. We pray that today's message helps you to connect to Jesus for life change. Each of you have different traditions you celebrate. And so you think about what was it that started Christmas season for you? For some, it's decorating the tree. Uh, For others, maybe even start giving gifts early. Some people, it's a special meal. For many people, it's Christmas music. How many people here, when you start listening to Christmas music, it's kind of the beginning of the Christmas season for you? Do we have any purists that will not allow Christmas music to be played before Thanksgiving is over? Anybody in that group? And you guys are passionate about that, all right? How many of you started listening to Christmas music before Thanksgiving? Anybody before November? Anybody ever stop? All right, some of you are going. Uh, I was listening to some Christmas music this year, and it just struck me. Stuff that I listen to on the radio, even some songs that we sing at church, Christmas songs are weird. And so I was just wondering, when you listen to Christmas songs, do you hear what I hear? Hmm. I wonder. And there are a few that make me think that. Some of you may love, some of you may hate. Grandma got ran over by a reindeer. You know that one? Grandma got run over by a reindeer. You know that one? Huh? Walking home from our house Christmas Eve. Okay, pause. Some of you are angry that got played. Some of your heads are bobbing. I see you. Um, Think about the lyrics we just heard. Why was grandma out walking in the first place? Okay, because we can talk about she's drunk, she doesn't have her meds, who's guilty, how much they don't love her the next day. That's what the rest of the song talks about. But I get stuck at the beginning. No one thought to themselves, we should give grandma a ride home. (laughs) That's weird. I listen to these songs, and I just wonder, do you hear what I hear? Parties for hosting marshmallows, for toasting and caroling out in the snow. There'll be scary ghost stories and tales of the glory of Christmas huh. is long, long I don't know what your traditions are, but did you hear those lyrics? There will be what kind of stories? Is this Halloween or Christmas? I sure. And some of you might be like, Pastor, it's Holy Ghost stories. Yeah, because uh, you're at church, right? Um, there are some strange songs out there, and some that we sing all the time. I bet all of you know some of the songs. I just wonder, do you hear what I hear? Okay, first the irony of this song. That's pentatonics. You can look them up. They're an a cappella group, which means, if you don't know, I'm not trying to be condescending, there are no musical instruments. They're singing a song called Drummer, a Musical Instrument Boy. All right? If you listen to the whole song, they forgot to bring a gift to Jesus. <laughs> so instead, they're going to use their talent as a drummer. Do you know what a drummer's supposed to do for a band? They're supposed to keep time. Did you hear the weird lyrics? The ox and the lamb kept time? Really? This is my offering to you, Jesus, but I'm not even going to do my job. Here we go. Weird. That's weird. That's enough. We don't need to listen to any more Christmas songs today. All right, well, maybe they'll do another one here. I think there's a carol. Wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Good tidings we bring to you and your King. Tidings for Christmas and a happy new year. So 
Do you know figgy pudding, in, pudding is? Does anybody even know? I didn't know. I had to look it up for this sermon. It was part of my sermon prep this week. Look that up. It's basically fruitcake. It's boiled figs and fruit as pudding. How disgusting is that? And we debate this as a church. If you love fruitcake, there's only like three of you that are allowed to come to church. We love that, but there's a lot of good churches in town. Um, here's the deal. Fruitcake, first of all, I know that we're in the South, and people say, come by anytime. My door is always, don't show up at my house if you're not invited. That's one rule. But if you do, and you're singing outside, don't demand that I feed you, and you won't leave. And if you are going to do that, don't ask for nasty stuff. I don't have it. So anybody who gave me fruitcake, as a joke, I regifted it. Just FYI. It all goes to the same guy. He's on our tech team, and we, he's good at what he does, so he gets to stay at this church. And so there's that guy. But fruitcake? Nasty. What are we saying? See, here's why I even share any of that. Because a lot of times we sing these words, and we don't even know what we're saying, but words matter. And this message that I want to share with you today is going to be from a verse, just one verse. It's a simple message. It's going to be a shorter message today because it's Christmas Eve. It's from one verse, and it's probably not a Christmas verse that you've heard before. It's John chapter 1 and verse 1. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and I've titled the message, Jesus, God's Word on Display. The question I want you to ask yourself as we reflect on what John chapter 1 and verse 1 says is simply this, what word does God have for you this Christmas? In John chapter 1 and verse 1, John writes this as he gets before the beginning of the Christmas story. In fact, before the announcement of the beginning of the Christmas story, before the story in Matthew that comes before that, before, in fact, the beginning of the beginning. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. <laughs> Words matter. Because words are what we use to communicate. Whether you type them or text them, somebody auto-corrects them, whether they're in a poem or a song or like I'm speaking to you right now, they're audibly said. Words are how we convey a message. And so when I ask you what word does God have for you this Christmas, I'm saying what message? What does he want to speak to your heart? And, and John here says that in the beginning was the word, and the word I'm going to present to you is Jesus. But not just because I'm making that up. And so you should always check your Bible and see, is the guy on stage, because he's got a microphone, he's standing up there, doesn't mean what he says is right. How do we know that Jesus is the word that John's talking about? Well, later in John, he says this, and here's your Christmas verse, John chapter 1 and verse 14, the word became flesh. He made his dwelling among us. And see, in the Old Testament, God spoke through his word. He parted the seas. He created all of creation. He delivers people. He does all kinds of amazing things with his word. He predicts the future about the birth of Jesus. But what we see throughout history is it's easy to, to ignore an invisible God. So he made himself visible. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. If you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. And John is here calling him the Word. Remember, words communicate a message. The message that I know God has for you this Christmas is Jesus. But what I don't know 
is what's happening in every individual person's life. Some of you are skeptics. Some of you are doubters. Some of you have been hurt by the church. Some of you love Jesus. Some of you just want a word of encouragement. Some of you are going through the motions, and this is just a tradition. There's different people with different things happening, and God will speak a word to each one of you. And so what I'm going to do is simply share with you not everything that could be said from John chapter 1, verse 1, but four truths about what John means when he says that Jesus is the word. And I want you to ask yourself, what does God have to say to you through that? And the first truth is simply this, that Jesus is the word of unparalleled power. He's the word of unparalleled power. So think about it. What do you think of when you think of power? Some of you may think an ability to do something. Some of you might think of influence or authority or position or maybe the power at your house. I don't know what it's like at your house. Our power goes out about once a month. We live about five minutes from here if we're connected in some way through that, and I'm thankful that you're having a hard time as well. <laughs> happened to me this week. Usually what happens is I'll wake up and like the alarm clocks flash and I jump out of bed and I'm like, what did I miss? You know, what's today? Um, but what happened this week was I didn't have a lot of stuff on the calendar, thankfully. The power was out when I woke up. Like no lights, everything was turned, you know, Alexa, what time is it? No answer. Oh, worthless. Oh, wait, nothing's working. And then I went to take a shower and realized not only do I not have electricity, I don't have hot water. <laughs> And I'm kind of a neat freak. I didn't really want to go into the office with bedhead and all crusty, but I stood there at the edge of the shower like, all right, icicles are running out of here. Do I do this? Don't do this? <laughs> that was my dilemma when I lacked the ability to do something. What do you think of when you think of power? Some people say money is power because it has influence. Knowledge is power. You ever go to the mechanic and think to yourself, am I getting ripped off? I don't know. Because they have all the knowledge. They have all the power. <laughs> When Hebrews thought of power, they thought of God's Word, because God spoke out of nothing. Think about that. There's a lot of people that are creative probably in this audience, maybe you're a poet, but words were already written. A painter, colors already existed. God spoke out of nothing and created everything. That's power. In the Old Testament, they said it like this in Psalm 33 and verse 6 talks about God's power. It says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. John's intentionally connecting back to the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, when it, he says, in the beginning was the word, because the book of Genesis, in the beginning, God. And then he speaks everything into existence. That's power. He speaks deliverance. Psalm 107, verse 20, he sent out of his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. So he speaks creation. He speaks deliverance. He speaks revelation. Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. That means God with us. That was 700 years before the birth of Jesus. I have one friend who used to attend our church. He doesn't attend regularly anymore. His wife is a follower of Jesus. He was not, is not. And he would say to me, Scott, the only reason that people think Jesus is the Messiah, he was a great teacher, he was moral, he was an incredible leader, but he knew all the prophecies ahead of time, and then he just lined his life up to go with the prophecies, to which I respond, like his birth? <laughs> like, I've met some manipulative people, but nobody can do that. Where will you be born? Micah about 500, 600 years before the birth of Jesus out of Bethlehem. Wait, Mary's not even from Bethlehem. She, 
Anybody, some of y'all's lives revolve around your kids like crazy, but does anybody actually, an unborn child, going to get you to take a 100-mile trip with a donkey? (laughs) Probably not. That's power. Born of a virgin, nobody's ever done that. It's power. Revelation. And what happens in the New Testament, and John tells us, and we don't have time to unpack it, is that Jesus then does those things with the power of His Word. He creates, like water to wine like feeding 5,000 people, like blind eyes that couldn't see, or people that were born with diseases being healed, created, and recreated. And he shows his power over creation when there's a bunch of fishermen on a boat and the circumstances get so bad, they say, do you not care? Some of you, that's where you're at. You question God's care for you because of the things that are happening around you. They woke Jesus up. He was in the boat. He was sleeping. With the word of his mouth, he calmed the wind and the waves. He could stop all the circumstances in your life right now if that was his plan for you. But he might be using those circumstances to get you to the word he has for you. There's another story where there's a man, he's a Roman, so I told you the Hebrews thought this, but there's a Roman centurion. He's a leader in the army, and he said, I understand authority. I tell people to go, and they go. I tell people to come, and they come. Jesus, just speak the word, and my servant will be healed. It's one of the few places in the Bible where Jesus is amazed at someone's faith. Here's this Roman centurion, and he knows that I don't even have to go to his house to heal this guy. It's the power of my word. Jesus is the word of unparalleled power, but he's also the word eternal. It said, now in the beginning, and so the the word was already there. The Word existed before everything else was made. It was that everything was made through the Word. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, some people try to tweak this if they don't believe that Jesus really is God, and they'll argue about that. There are cults that do the Jehovah's Witnesses. If they ever come to your door, John chapter 1, they'll say, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with, or the word was with God, and the Word was a God. So they change the translation to fit their beliefs. That's not what the translation says. It's how they've tweaked it to fit what they believe. Now, a lot of us like to do that, make Jesus into who we want him to be, but that's not good. And what happens is, for instance, the Jehovah's Witnesses, they don't believe that Jesus really is God. They believe he's an angel. If you say, I believe in Jesus, they'll say, yeah, so do we. I won't tell you all that. Tweaking it, changing it. But if you just read the next verse, even if you took a translation like they said and goes, okay, let's just say that's true. You read the next verse. He made everything. Through him, all things were made. That means he's God. (laughs) He's eternal. He's always existed and always will exist. The way the Bible oftentimes talks about eternity is it contrasts things that are temporary with things that last forever. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, not treasures here where thieves can steal. Temporary. Moth and rust can destroy. It goes away. These temporary afflictions, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, these momentary afflictions, they feel so heavy right now, but in light of eternity, they'll be small. And so you think about that. What are things that we know are temporary? I look around, I see people from different generations here. Won't call anybody out. (laughs) But if your maybe parents or grandparents met in the 70s, it's very possible they met at a disco. I'm just saying. Anybody going to a disco? Anybody else going to a disco? Not just because this is a church, probably nobody, because there aren't any, probably, because they've gone away. Maybe they had feathered hair or an afro. In fact, I have a picture of my dad holding a child. We won't say who. There you go. (laughs) Hairstyles have changed, things come and go. Say, wow, it's easy to laugh at the 70s. They had, you know, leisure suits and discos and 
What about the 80s? Think about the 80s. What happened in the 80s? They were ready for war in the 80s against the wind with these windbreakers. There you go. And neon colors, and there's all kinds of things you can remember. Ladies, you might remember some hairstyles from that time period. I think we've got, yep, there we go. Yep, there you go. Killing brain cells and the ozone, whatever, there, the Aquanet. Think about the things that happened in the 90s. Think about as a child of the 90s. I remember what it was like. My kids don't believe that I lived before Facebook existed because Facebook's like so outdated to them. I can't even imagine. I remember when in order to get online, you had to get a CD for AOL with limited hours on it. And so kids, it's not just that we limit your time on the internet. Ours was limited at one point by these CDs. And if you put it in your computer, it sounded like something was melting in the microwave. That can't be good. And they invented social media and the iPhone. And are those trends? Will we look back someday and go, oh, I remember. <laughs> and in 2000s, you know, you've got some fashion trends. I don't want to make fun of Crocs. Somebody had them on in the first service. I won't do that. Uh, maybe toe shoes. Remember those? Different trends. They come and they go. But here's the reality. People don't change. All these hairstyles change. The names change. Technology changes. But if you look throughout all of human history, we're the same. We all long to matter. We all want to be connected to one another. We all want to be loved we all want more than the temporary things this world can do for us. The Bible says it like this in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, whether you're a skeptic, whether you're old, whether you're young, whether you're a doubter, whether you're a believer, whether or not you want to be at church or don't, God placed eternity in your heart. So what is eternity? Well, imagine with me for a second that you're standing at the edge of the ocean. I don't know if you've been there before where you look out and there's just this vast water, more than you could count, more than you can see. You can't see land to the other side. It seems like it never ends. It's like eternity. There's no end to it. It's incredibly vast. It'd be overwhelming if you tried to put some number on what it is. But then you think about our lives. It'd be like taking this little water dropper that I have here and dropping a just a drop. Oh, more than one. In light of the ocean, this is real. It matters. But a hundred years on this earth, James says that it's like a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. God's not willing that any would perish. That he wants everybody to turn to him. But why hasn't he come back? It says in Peter that a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. What is it like to live outside of time? Eternal. Jesus is the eternal word, the unparalleled power word, the word of life. The next verse, I've read to you verses 1 through 3 and verse 4 of John chapter 1. as Verses 2, 3, and 4. Explain verse 1. It says that he is the light of life. His word is a word of life. In the Gospel of John, when John talks about life, he's not just talking about our biological, our, our physical being lives. He's talking about our spiritual lives. We see an example of this in John chapter 3 when there's this famous encounter that he has with a man named Nicodemus. He's a religious leader, and he tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. And then 
the verse that famous evangelist Billy Graham probably said in every sermon he ever preached, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting or eternal life. Ah, the problem is, when we think about that, we almost always just think about the longevity of life, how, how long it lasts. Because we look at the ocean, we think of the vastness, or I could have taken sand on the beach and then taken a pebble of sand, and same idea, that it's just big and long, and we miss that it's not just about quantity, but also about quality of life. Jesus says in John chapter 10, in verse 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I, Jesus, who is life, I am the way, the truth, the life, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly to the fullest. Eternal life starts now. And Jesus is the word of life, the word of power, the word eternal. But while we can all have that life, we don't all have that life. And it's interesting to me that John puts in that verse 4, not just that Jesus is the word of life, but he also talks about him being the light, the light of the world. He's a word of light. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and we live in a dark world. And the darkness has not overcome it. <laughs> I asked you how you started your Christmas season. For many of you, it's songs. For some of you, it's lights. Putting lights on a tree, putting lights on your house, going seeing other people's lights. I did with our kids last night, went down to a park in Cary. Some of you, lights are really important. And if I asked most of you, do you prefer light or darkness? Most people would say light. It's a significant part of our traditions. I've got this garland that my wife and I owned when we lived in Texas. We had a long stairway when we were in Texas on our house. And We'd wrap it around that, and we moved in the house here, and the house here doesn't have a long stairway like that. But we still had this garland, and I wasn't going to waste it, so I hung it up in our living room. Now, my 16-year-old daughter Ava says, it's not Christmas until you put the garland up. <laughs> Here's the thing about lights, and if you know Clark Griswold, you know this proverb. If one goes out, that's right. Mm. And I don't do anything to that garland all year. It sits in the attic. For some reason, it's broken when it comes out. I have no idea. I don't know what you guys are sneaking in there, messing with me. I don't know what's going on. You love fruitcake. You won't tell anybody, so you just do that to my lights. I don't know what's happening. But it doesn't work. And so I've wrapped over the years multiple new strands of lights around the garland. It's basically a stick with a bunch of lights wrapped around it now in our living room. And we were in the living room the other day, and the middle section was on, and the other ones weren't. So the proverb didn't work anymore because I've wrapped so many lights. They're not all plugged into each other anymore. And I looked at my daughter and I said, does it still feel like Christmas? She goes, eh. <laughs> so I knew that meant I had to take an adventure to Walmart. But I'm weird, I like Walmart. So I went. Come back home and wrap new strands of lights around it. I climb up on a ladder. I'm up by the ceiling. You know, they're watching a movie. Everybody else is enjoying Christmas. I'm working. That's kind of what happens at our house. I get it all done. I'm on this wobbly stool. I look at my teenage daughter. I said, now does it feel like Christmas again? She doesn't even look at me. She's got her phone. I get a thumbs up. Good. I was expecting like this magical moment. <laughs> we all say we like lights. But many of us avoid the light. Sometimes out of ignorance. Sometimes because we don't want to deal with reality. 
<laughs> one of the traditions I did this year was uh, gone to a, a gathering that we do every year with our pastors and the pastor's wives. And one of the pastor's wives who told me I could share this story, I just couldn't use her name. It's a very responsible young lady. She was talking about getting speeding tickets when she was younger as a teenager, and she said she didn't know she was supposed to do anything with them. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was, I was like, what? I didn't even know that was an option. What do you mean? She's like, yeah, I'd just get the tickets and I just kept them. I didn't know. And his, her husband said, I think it's funny that she thought it was just like a suggestion, like here's a note, yeah, slow down, <laughs> and here you go. Um, maybe out of ignorance, maybe out of avoidance, but she said that what happened was a couple years into having that experience, parking tickets, traffic tickets, different tickets, her mom called her, said, honey, the police are here at her house. But she didn't know she did anything wrong. She was like, oh, okay. <laughs> they have a warrant for your arrest. Yikes. <coughs> Some people, they don't want to check their credit card bill because they know they've spent a lot and don't want, they don't even open the letter from the doctor. You just avoid those things. And so we say that we like light, but the light can be difficult because light reveals. And this light reveals what's in our hearts. In fact, one of the saddest verses in the entire Bible is in John chapter 1, talking about Jesus being the light of the world. And John talks about it extensively throughout the gospel, but just in John chapter 1, he says this, the true light, talking about Jesus, that gives light to everyone is coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, he was the creator of all of it. The world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him, welcome them in, him in to their lives. Didn't like what the light revealed, and we know that because later, after that conversation with Nicodemus, it says this in John chapter 3, this is the verdict, light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. I started off by reading Christmas lyrics. I'm going to read you some from, have you heard this song? You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. You know that one? The kid song? Some rough lyrics in that song. Listen to this. Your soul is an appalling dump heap. <laughs> it's a kid song. Overflowing with the most disgraceful assortment of deplorable rubbish. Apparently originally written British. Mangled up and tangled up knots. No one wants to hear that. In our culture, we talk about you got to follow your heart. You know what the Bible says about your heart? It's one of the most deceptive things in the world. Jeremiah 17, 3, the heart is deceptive and wicked above all things. Ooh, we don't want to hear that. It's out of the heart, Mark chapter 7, that the lust of our minds comes, the slander of other people comes out of our heart that that happens. We don't want to hear that. 2 Corinthians tells us, that the thief that was mentioned in John chapter 10, he blinds our minds to the truth. But Jesus is the light. Is he speaking to your heart tonight? Maybe it's truth you don't want to hear. Maybe you're further from God than you realize. Maybe you'd call yourself a believer. You drifted away from him and you're further than you want to acknowledge. But he's showing you that word. Maybe he's got something else to reveal to you. I don't know. But that can sound like bad news. There's also good news we played the song, We Wish You a Merry Christmas. Did you catch the part? Glad tidings we bring. Glad tidings means good news. A message of joy. It's another way to translate it. There's good news. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. That's the good news 
of Christmas. The invisible God put on flesh and came and dwelled among us. It says in John chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, that people did not receive him. But then the, the best verse in John chapter 1 is verse 12. But to those who receive him, who believe in his name, he gives the right to be called children of God. Jesus is the word of power, the word eternal, the word of life, the word of light. And he can give you, because he has the power, eternal life. I've told you the truths about him, but why? Why would John even write this? You have to get to the end of the book to know. So in John chapter 20, he says, I've written these things that you might believe, and by believing that you would have eternal life. And if you don't have that, I know that's the message that God has for you right now. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to that. So I'm just going to ask us all to bow our heads and close our eyes, even if you're watching online, you're in your living room or coffee shop, you're doing anything other than driving, if you would bow your heads and close your eyes. It says if you receive him, to receive him is to welcome him into your life. If you believe on his name, that means you're putting your trust in his life and what he's done for you when he died for your sins. He wasn't dying for his own. He never sinned. He died on a cross for your sin, in our place, for my sin. Put your trust in that. He rose from the dead, demonstrating his power to give you life. The Bible says if you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, that you'll be saved. Believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Confess that he is Lord of your life. Ask him into your life as your Savior right now then you'll be saved. And there are many reasons why you might do that, because you need to be forgiven, because you want new life, because you know there's more to life than just this life, and you're placing your trust. Maybe you have doubts. We all have doubts. But you're placing your trust in Jesus. You can do that right now. And there are reasons not to do that. Maybe you're not sure you can overcome your doubts. Maybe just one message. I, I need to know more. I would encourage you. Why don't you hang out with us for a year? One year. Come to our church regularly. We'll dive into your doubts. I'll converse with you one-on-one -on -one if you'd like. We never have to tell anybody about our conversations. Some of you already know him. I need to recommit your life. Some of you just want to worship him. That's incredible. What word does God have for you right now? If you want to trust him, will you pray this prayer? God, I admit that I am a sinner. I believe that your son Jesus died for my sins and rose from the dead. I confess Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. I want to receive him into my life right now. The Bible says if you prayed that prayer, you'll be saved. And there are some here that need to recommit their lives. There are some that need to lay down burdens. He says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened. I'll give you rest for your souls. He's the prince of peace. Maybe tangled up and bound up in circumstances. He's a wonderful counselor. Go to him. Take your burdens to him. You may want to worship him. Thanks for listening to sermons from Southbridge Fellowship in Raleigh, North Carolina. If you have a question about the message you just heard, email us at info at sfchurch.com. For additional resources or service information, visit us at sfchurch.com.